As a business owner of an aquaculture company, how can you take the first step to be profitable and sustainable at the same time? That's what we're going to be talking about in these episodes. Hello, and welcome to the Business of Aquaculture podcast. This is the podcast for the sustainable business movement in the aqua farming and ocean ranching industries. This podcast aims to amplify the voices of entrepreneurs addressing the United Nations Global Goals, aka Sustainable Development Goals, number 14, to conserve and sustainably use the oceans and the seas. Listen in to fellow business aquaculturists in their journey in this new model of food production of making their business sustainable and help the ocean's ecology while also making a profit all at the same time. Get inspired to learn how even small to medium businesses can make an impact to save the seas, leave a legacy, and have a better quality of life. One of our goals is you take away a nugget of wisdom that will help your business move from the industrial revolution to business 5.0. Our vision is that of collaboration in the aquaculture industry. I'm Lourdes Gant, your host. As an agriculture expert, how do you tackle the balance in advising business owners of being profitable and sustainable at the same time? That's what we're going to be talking about in this episode. Welcome to episode two of the business of aquaculture. This episode, we have Mr. Tom Broadley of IECCorporate.ca. Mr. Broadley is a marine biologist by training. He graduated from the University of Victoria in 1987. After three years as head biologist at the province's largest oyster producer and a farther two in the position of director of shellfish for a private research company, he became a co-owner and CEO of IEC International. This episode is for you if you're an owner or an expert in an aquaculture company who wants to hear from someone with a marine research and development expertise. You will gain insights about environmental project and business development and management, technology development and utilization, food and seafood processing, marketing and value-added product development, fisheries and aquaculture facilitation, technology policy, market development, monitoring, and education and training. So listen in, and I hope you enjoy this episode. If you listen to our first episode, I interviewed Mr. Eric Gant of Manatee Holdings Limited, who is one of the pioneers in the Gubidak aquaculture industry in Canada. You will gain insights on how often in business, wisdom comes from good judgment, Good judgment comes from experience, and experience comes from bad judgment. So if you're in the brink of having to make a wise decision you're experiencing in your business or existing projects at the moment, you will learn a lot from this premier interview. So welcome, Tom. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. This will be like just conversational, just for everyone's information. Tom is one of our family friends, and he also worked with us. So maybe you can give us a background on how did you get started in the business of aquaculture? I actually don't know this story as well, so this will be a treat. <laughs> I'm originally from Kitchener, Ontario, and then I moved out west to go to the University of Victoria to enter into marine biology. Fortunately, the third year of my degree... They introduced a work co-op program. This is where you work for four months and you go to school for four months. And it gives you a real variety of what you could be doing with your education. I was fortunate enough to get a job with Redonda Sea Farms. They're up on West, we're up on West Redonda Island. And 
I had to do four work terms. And over the next three years, I did all four work terms with Redonda Sea Farms, where I became their head marine biologist. And then the day I graduated, Redonda turned around and said, we want to hire you full time. So that's how I initiated in this. In that position, I was responsible for all the seed procurement for their oysters and clam program. Wow. And did you fell in love with the oyster just like Eric fell in love with the ocean? <laughs> yes, I did. Yes, I did. You have to realize I'm from Ontario. I've never seen a live oyster. I shucked my first live oyster and I fell in love with them. And since then, that's all I do. This is like 30 years ago now, right? So maybe tell us a little bit more about your journey after that stint. I was fairly young at that age, uh, probably around 24, 25. I had to live on Cortez Island, and it's a fairly remote, isolated little island. So I was missing life, basically. So I got a job opportunity with Aquametrics. They wanted to hire me. They're a private research company. I handled their shellfish department, moved down to Victoria, and I ran their shellfish department for them. Well, within three years, a good partner of mine, Lauren Clayton, contacted me and said, hey, why don't we join forces together and establish IEC? I was young, foolish, and I said, sure. <laughs> so we started IEC approximately 32 years ago. The first year, I wouldn't say we made a million dollars. I wouldn't say we made much money at all, but we survived. Consequently, uh, over the next 31 years, Lauren and I have done over 700 projects encompassing 12 different continents we've had to go through. So there's not many species we haven't played with in the ocean. Yeah, I think it's always exciting just for the purpose of the audience. Just so you know, when, when I first met Tom, I always thought that every time I have a meeting with him, I learn a thing or two about shellfish. And I'm very much a baby in this industry. I've been in it for only 13 years. And I would say I am still learning a lot. So when you incorporated, I guess, and became active in IEC. I remember Eric mentioning about you guys do a lot of things internationally, and you mentioned seven continents. Maybe you can share what's your favorite and what, what's the project about? My favorite one was CIFA, Canadian Industry Food Association, got money to build a shellfish hatchery in Brazil. So I was contacted by a university in Brazil can we hire you to come down and design and implement a shellfish program for us? So I was thrilled to death. So I had to go my first wedding anniversary and my second wedding anniversary. I was in Brazil <laughs> building a hatchery. Other continents I've been to, I've been to China several times because China is a real go-getter in terms of aquaculture. They don't wait for anything. They're just moving forth. My other partner, he has been to, Lauren, has been to other variety of continents, Europe, Africa, you name it. Anybody who's exploring aquaculture likes to contact us so that we can give them our background and maybe some potential good advice of where they should go. Do you have so, a favorite species? My favorite species is, well, Eric, I ran Eric's gooey duck program for a long time, but my favorite species is still... Pacific oyster, Chrysostra gigas. Right. <laughs> All right. So moving on, what have you seen about the pros and cons being in this industry? The, I'll use the Pacific oyster. That's the best example and the best history I have. 
Pacific Oyster was brought into BC in 1911. So that's how long they've been trying to cultivate the Pacific Oyster here. Well, from 1911 to about mid-90s, we called it a mom and pop operation. So the people who were growing oysters lived in these remote communities and were looking for meaningful employment and income. So that was the initiation of shellfish aquaculture in BC. Unfortunately, it just stayed at that flat plateau. The only markets they really could access was Vancouver. So prices just fluctuated wildly. Then all of a sudden they decided, no, we have to diversify. So we're not selling to processors anymore. We're going to process our own product. Well, that was the initiation of opening the door for them. So now once they had federal approval through a shellfish processing plant, they could market product around the world. So we have developed markets extensively through Europe, Asia. We even go as far as South America with our product now. So that was the real boost to this industry. So we stayed with Pacific oysters. Then we got into Manila clams. Then all of a sudden we looked at why are we doing exotic species as they're called? Because they're not native to British Columbia. So that's when we started trying to look into indigenous species. Duck clam is your classic example. We had to go through fighting with regulatory agencies for about five years before we got limited approval. And the limited approval was we had to prove technically we could do it and we had to prove fiscally we would be viable. Well, that experiment's still going on. That's 20 years now that experiment's been going on. Yes, everybody wants to get into gooey duck culture, but the biggest problem with gooey duck aquaculture, you must have patience. It's a long process to go through. Pacific oysters, manila clams, two years, three years. Gooey ducks, I'd like to say less than 10 years, but optimistically, I would keep it around 10 years. So it's 10 years of a lot of funding going into something. You're not going to see a return on your investment in ROI to probably year 15, 16. So not a lot of investors have pockets that extensive. But they're going to have to get into it because the population, the wild population of gooey ducks is declining at such a rapid rate, the fishery is going to collapse. And the market demand just keeps escalating. So there's an example. Where our industry is right now is we're trying to develop the technologies for viable aquaculture and all our indigenous species now. I like what you mentioned about the challenges in terms of regulatory agencies. I was interviewing one of the best wineries here in the island, and I didn't realize that they were going through the same challenge. Interestingly, they are not able to actually sell their wine to other provinces. And ironically, the people who live in Montreal cannot get Vancouver Island wines. Well, in fact, they can order online in Argentina. So there's this precipice that's going to happen just because bureaucracy is not able to catch up. Unfortunately, our regulatory agency is Department of Fisheries and Oceans. They have two mandates, which are across purposes. One is health and habitat of the wild fishery. The second is promotion of aquaculture. The two sound like they should go hand in hand. Unfortunately, they don't. Right. So those in existing wild fishery do not like aquaculture. 
And unfortunately, that has dictated a lot of the regulatory's actions in the impediment of our industry. Yeah, that's sad. But as you mentioned, the wild fishery is collapsing at a very sad phase and aquaculture is going to fill into the vacuum. So my last question for you is, what do you think the industry is in store for the next I was going to ask 10 years, but maybe just three years. (laughs) Maybe give us the top three trends that you're seeing in the aquaculture industry. Okay, I'll do the first question. What do you think the industry is in store for in the next 10 years? I see a large diversification. Right now, they're predicting, they're actually expecting one in two pieces of seafood to be derived of some form of aquaculture. I think that's almost going to go one-to-one here in the next few years, unfortunately. You look around the world, most of our wild fishery industries are collapsing because we've overfished, unfortunately. So you're going to see a large development in diversification. China's your classic example. They're probably cultivating close to 40 species right now. That answers that one. So the next 10 years is going to be explosive growth. And hopefully Canada can join that if the regulatory agencies see the light. What are the top three trends are you seeing? I'm not only seeing the diversification in species, but I'm seeing the diversification in location. The largest oyster grower in the world is Taylor United. They've just come into BC and bought up large sections of plants and tenures because they want to diversify in their location. That's one Impediment to aquaculture is if you grow all your crop in one geographical region, if that area becomes susceptible to a natural contamination like PSP, there's not much you can do. So you're going to see that's the second trend. You're going to see companies diversifying around the world. And the third top trend I would see is the mom and pop industry has faded completely now. And you're going to see larger and larger companies coming in to expand upon the beauty of British Columbia for its aquaculture. So those are my top three, Lourdes. Hopefully those answered those questions for you. Thank you very much. Yes, they do. And like what I said, I always learn something every time I talk to you. So thank you so much for your time. No problem. (laughs) My biggest takeaway from this episode is just imagining in terms of diversification of what you said, both in location and its species. I think that comes across the board in any industry so that you can distribute your risk business-wise. And for the next episode, we'll have Bill Collins of Cascadia Seaweed, who will be talking about how he was able to attract investors into his company and build long-term relationships that sustain their business. But before I let you go, Tom, maybe you can give our audience how they can get in touch with you. Yeah, I can be reached at, best probably is my website. If you go on the, we have our own website, IEC Corporate. So my email is broadly at iecorporate.com. And I have no problem answering any questions anybody may have. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for your time. And I know it's Easter today and you're working with me. (laughs) Not a problem. Not a problem. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening, and I hope you are inspired from this episode. Do take a moment and share this with your friends and colleagues, and rate and review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'd love to know what your biggest takeaway from this conversation has been. What are you going to do differently? Please share your thoughts across social media and tag us. For links and show notes for this episode, visit our website, www.sustainableaquaculture.ca slash podcast. Thank you again. I hope you will join me on the next episode and together we can help create a better business in aquaculture. <music>